Hey, it's Martine. Um, a warning before we start today's show. This episode deals with sexual violence and child abuse, so it is probably not appropriate for everybody. Settle in, everybody. Quiet on the set. Sounds rolling. It's okay. Natalie, um, can you just for, you know, so we make sure that we get it right into camera, can you just tell me and spell your name? My name is Hadley Duval, H-A-D-L-E-Y-D-U-V-A-L-L. This is Hadley Duval, behind the scenes on the set of a TV ad for Kentucky's Democratic governor, Andy Bashir. He was running for re-election last November against a staunchly conservative Republican opponent, Daniel Cameron. Abortion became a heated issue in the race. And in the ad, Hadley, who is 21 years old, is sitting in a chair looking directly into the camera. I was raped by my stepfather after years of sexual abuse. I was 12. Anyone who believes there should be no exceptions for rape and incest could never understand what it's like to stand in my shoes. This is to you, Daniel Cameron. To tell a 12-year-old girl she must have the baby of her stepfather who raped her is unthinkable. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Daniel Cameron would give us none. This ad went totally viral, almost overnight. And the post-Caroline Kitchener was watching as Kentucky and the world reacted. A lot of people have said that this ad had a lot to do with Governor Andy Bashir winning re-election. He's a Democrat in a very conservative state and really outperformed other Democrats down ballot. He even thanked Hadley in his acceptance speech right after his wife and kids. Hadley is here tonight. She is a brave young woman who came forward to share her story, to speak for so many that couldn't speak for themselves. And because of her courage, because of her courage, this Commonwealth is going to be a better place and people are going to reach out for the help they need. Thank you, Adley. Since Roe v. Wade was overturned, Abortion has been on the ballot in several states, including Ohio, Kentucky, and Kansas. And even in deeply conservative places, voters have supported abortion access again and again. As the 2024 presidential election heats up, it is clear that President Biden is trying to harness the power of this issue for voters. This week, the White House announced a series of actions aimed at protecting access to abortion and contraception. It's just one way that Biden is signaling this is a big issue that he will be running on. But more broadly, inside the Democratic and Republican parties, political strategists everywhere are looking at ads like Hadley's to try to figure out how do we mobilize voters with this kind of power? And how do we repeat this win? Why did this woman and her story resonate so deeply with the people of Kentucky, particularly with moderates and conservatives? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers, and it's Thursday, January 25th. 
Since Hadley was introduced to the political conversation, her story has been incredibly influential. I decided to start speaking out because I want people to understand, to think through the real-world implications of the current law in Kentucky. Just this month, Hadley stood in the Kentucky legislature, introducing a bill called Hadley's Law. It would provide exceptions to the state's abortion ban for rape, incest, and women facing health complications due to pregnancy. But how did we get to this point? Today, the young woman behind a viral ad and what this political playbook could mean for 2024. So tell me about Hadley. Who is she and what is she like? So Hadley is from Owensboro, Kentucky. That's a couple of hours away from Lexington. Um, She is a soccer star. She got recruited uh, to college to play soccer. This was my ticket to London when I went for the All-American trip, December 26, 2019. (laughs) And she, I mean, I went to campus. I went to her school, to Midway University, to hang out with her for a couple of days. I decided, you know, like, I got to go to college. I got to get a degree. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, hmm, nursing like everybody else does, like cutie scrubs, let's do it. (laughs) Um, So then I realized that I'm terrified of needles, blood, no thank you. So I picked psychology, and whenever I got like a soccer scholarship, like that was a big deal. And you can just tell immediately walking around with her on campus, everybody knows her and she knows everybody. Like everybody had something to say to her, and she, you know, just seem very comfortable in her own skin. But as you've reported, she also has carried a lot with her from her childhood. Um, Can you talk to me about her family and what she experienced growing up? Hadley's parents divorced when she was very, very young. And so she grew up in a household with her brother, her mom, and her stepfather. Her mom struggled with drugs and, you know, was in and out of rehab. So there were periods where it was just her and her stepfather and her brother um, when her mom wasn't there keeping an eye on things. Uh, My mom was still in very active addiction at that time. So you were alone with him a lot because she was... Yeah, when she was in rehab, I was alone with him probably 80% of my time. Wow. And starting from age five... Her stepfather sexually abused her. Hadley's stepfather would typically come into her room late at night, usually between 12 and 1 a.m., and he would lock the door behind him. She would try to go somewhere else in her mind, and she had an old shirt of her mom's that she would hold really close to her and, and smell. And I would just, like cling on to my mom's shirt and just like know that she would be home soon and just like pray for the morning. And at first she told me she thought that this was normal behavior, like he kind of conditioned her to think that and then eventually um, you know, she told me it was it was the second grade and a guidance counselor came into her class at school and taught her and her classmates 
about the um, what they called the no-no square, like the parts of your body that other people were not allowed to touch. And she asked her stepfather about that, and he said, no, no, that's for strangers. That's not for your family. So that's sort of the way that he um, convinced her for a while, quite a while, that this was normal. Eventually, she was old, old enough and, and realized that it was not normal. And at that point, it became, you know, him holding her down. I remember, like, saying, like, this isn't normal. Like, my other friend's dads don't do this to them. He was like, how do you know? Do you ask them? And I was like, well, no, but, like, nobody ever says anything. So I just, but, like, I was so terrified of, like, what if I do ask them? Then what? Like, then what do I say? Like, what yeah. if they go tell their parents? Like, yeah. how do you ask me this stuff? Yeah. So it's just, like hesitation because I was just like so confused like I was literally just confused and then at some point Hadley became pregnant when she was 12 years old what did she tell you about that it was right after she had first gotten her period um she'd only had her period a couple of times and she told me that she realized it had been too long it had been late. Like, I think I had only had, like, maybe, like, three or four, like, cycles. Maybe a little more. Um, but Were you worried about pregnancy at that time? Like, did you did, did you know enough to know? No, like, I didn't. I didn't know, like, um, like, obviously I knew how babies were made, like, duh. But yeah. I didn't, um, like, understand. Honestly, I never thought about, like, if he was using protection or, like, any of that, honestly. Like, I just, it never crossed my mind. And she, you know, recounted telling her stepfather this, and he, you know, told her to stay home from school so that together they could go and get a pregnancy test. And she told me she took that pregnancy test at home. I was in my bathroom, and I made him go in the hallway, and I shut the door. He didn't want me to shut the door, but I was like, I'm shutting the door. And I was like, what do I do? Just, like, pee on the stick? Or do I, like, dip it in the toilet? Like, And he was like, no, don't do it in the toilet because it won't read your pee. It'll just read the whatever, the water, blah, blah, blah. I peed on one of them, flipped it over, and I was just, like, sitting there like, what the f*** am I going to do? Like, this has reached a point to where, like, this needs to stop. Yeah. And that's literally, like, what I was telling him. Like, I was getting so mad. Like, you're making my life hell, like, literally. And, you know, before you know, she put the test face down on the bathroom sink and before she looked at it, he kind of laid out the options for her, assuming that she was pregnant. He said that she could either find a boy in the neighborhood closer to her own age and have sex with him and then pretend that the baby was his, um, or she could take a trip with him, uh, her stepfather, to Louisville, and she could get an abortion. So, so then what happened after that? Well, she, you know, she told me that she looked at the pregnancy test, and she was pregnant. She said she doesn't remember a whole lot about what happened after that. I think she kind of went into shock. Um, but it was a little less than two weeks after that, um, she, you know, woke up to just a lot of blood in her underwear and 
really severe cramping that lasted a while. My stomach was cramping really, really bad. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm about to start my period. Like, maybe I wasn't ever pregnant. Like, maybe it was just quality mm-hmm. tests because, like, I know, like, uh, they're not 100% accurate. Like, pregnancy tests aren't 100% mm-hmm. accurate, you know, whatever. So I'm like, okay, like, maybe God, like, listened to me. Mm-hmm. And then um, years later, she said she, she realized that she must have had a miscarriage. So then what happened after that point, and when was Hadley finally able to, to tell people about what was happening to her? She said she finally felt ready when she was 15. She said she tried a bunch of times before then, but she always got scared because, like, she said that from the outside, right, she was very aware that they looked like the perfect family. That's the word, that she, the term that she used. We had this, like, cabin with a... Like, big pond, like, huge. We jet ski on it and everything, four-wheelers, all the things. Um, And, like, we always just knew, like, there's a family function for every holiday. Easter, Halloween. You know, she had parents that came with her to her cheerleading competitions. And they had this, you know, family cabin that they would go to. And they had these nice holidays. And she didn't want to mess it up. And then, you know, she got a little older and she, she realized that, it just couldn't go on the way that it had been going on. And one day she um, texted her mom from school and said, you know, I have something really important to talk to you about tonight. Like, don't let me, you know, back out of it. And her mom kind of asked a lot of questions over text and then actually came to pick her up early from school. They're in the car and, you know, the way they both remember it, Hadley just came out with it and she said, you know, uh, Jeremy sexually abuses me, and he has for a long time. And her mom slammed on the brakes and later threw up. She said that she, you know, had had no idea that that was going on. And what did her mom do about it when she learned? So her mom immediately, um, you know, she said that immediately she kind of started making a plan. Um, She wanted to empty the bank accounts, empty the gun safe before, um, you know, she confronted Jeremy. She didn't want any of those things to, to, you know, be unsettled. Um, So she sent Hadley to go stay with a friend for that night, and then she confronted him the next day. You know, and and he, um, he admitted to it. And, you know, they, you know, after that, Adley and her mom and her dad, actually, they all, they all went to the police. So was Hadley's stepfather ultimately prosecuted for this? Yes, he was. He pled guilty to all the charges and he went to prison, was sentenced to a 20-year prison sentence. Wow. And what was it like for Hadley to talk about all this with the police and with prosecutors? It was extremely difficult. I mean, she told me it was like, you know, she was sitting in a room with like, there was, at first it was just all men. And they were asking these like extremely, extremely personal questions about, you know, the parts of his body and the parts of her body and, you know, what touched and when and, you know, can you recount, like, specific instances? And she said, you know, she knew she had to do it, but it was extremely, extremely traumatic to go through all of that. Um, And with her mom, you know, her mom sitting right there. 
that situation, sitting there with the police officers being interviewed about what happened to her, it was extremely difficult and traumatic for Hadley. And she says that, you know, in the years that followed, the regrets that she has about that conversation, there are things that she didn't say because it was so overwhelming. And one of those things actually was the pregnancy test. That she didn't tell the police about that? She said she wanted them to know about the incident. She wanted them to know about the test, but she said she didn't feel ready to tell her mom and all of these police officers that she had actually been pregnant and that she had miscarried. So, you know, what she said to me and what it says in the police reports is that, you know, she told them that the pregnancy test had been negative um, because she just didn't feel able in that moment to be entirely honest about what had happened. What you're describing honestly sounds unimaginable for a child to experience. Um, I'm just curious, like, how—it seems like she's pretty well-adjusted now. Like, how did that happen? My gosh, I kept asking her that question. Like, how are you now sitting here across from me talking about this so with such a kind of clear mind and sense of purpose? And, you know, she, she said she credited a lot to therapy. Like, I'm now currently in, like, trauma-focused therapy. So, like, EMDR, like, really focusing on your memory and, like, the memories you want to keep and the memories Mm -hmm. that you need to... You can't just put them away. Like, you have to deal with them and then let them go. Yeah. You know, it's just... It has helped a lot, she said, to talk about it and then to talk about it more and then again. And, you know, even as we are there talking about it, she said it's, it's helpful. It's, like... She wants to be open about it, and that is part of healing for her. So then I guess that brings us to the part where her story intersects with this political story. Um, Tell me about how Hadley came to this moment where she decided not only did she want to talk about it, you know, with members of her family and friends and people around her, but that she wanted to talk about it more publicly. So it was the day after Roe v. Wade was overturned, um, June 25th, 2022, And Hadley was just scrolling on Facebook, and she said she saw post after post from friends and family members sort of, you know, jubilant about this decision and, Mm. you know, what it meant. And she just felt herself getting angry and angrier and wondering, like, if these people in my life knew the full extent of what happened to me, you know, including the pregnancy— would they feel differently about this decision mm-hmm. and what it means for women? And she said kind of in the heat of that moment, she you know, took out her phone and wrote a lengthy post about what she experienced and how that related to this monumental Supreme Court decision. So this is what Hadley wrote in the Facebook post. The father figure in my life had planted his child in me at the age of 12. Thankfully, I had my choice. I never had to go through with my decision, but I would have. If you can look at a child and tell them you think they should have to carry their parent's child, you are sick. Wow. What was the reaction to that when she posted it? It just, like, immediately exploded. 
not just within her friends and family, it was shared way more widely. Like a lot of people were sharing it to their Facebooks and there were hundreds of comments and um, and a few people said, you know, thank you so much for sharing this. You've changed my views on this issue. And, you know, also people reached out to Hadley to say, I've experienced something similar. And I think that just the whole experience of being public with that just... It was enormously powerful for her. After the break, how Hadley's story went from a Facebook post to a viral, election-defining campaign ad. We'll be right back. So then how did this Facebook post end up coming across the radar of Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir? It was so viral that a local news channel did a story about her. Tonight, we're sharing a tough story. A woman's childhood sexual abuse. WBKM News does not typically identify rape or sexual abuse victims, but Hadley Duval wanted to share her story. You know, that happened in the summer of 2022. Now, fast forward a year. Governor Andy Bashir in Kentucky, he's running for re-election. And, you know, it's clear by that point in time that abortion is an extremely galvanizing issue. Huge news out of Kansas, which voted to protect the right to an abortion in its state constitution. It was the first state to vote on the issue after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. The other big storyline from last night, Michigan voters passing Prop 3. Of course, the measure ensures abortion rights in the state. It was approved with 57 percent of the vote. People are really frustrated with the Supreme Court decision across the country, even in conservative states. And they are turning out at the polls to support abortion rights. Okay, and remind us, who was this candidate that Bashir was running against, and how did abortion become a central issue in this race? He is running against Daniel Cameron, who is a anti-abortion Republican, who, you know, the summer of 2023 had, you know, thrown his full support behind the current version of Kentucky's abortion ban, which is a near-total abortion ban that only has an exception for medical emergencies. So there is no exception in Kentucky for cases like Hadley's if she hadn't miscarried of, of children who are the victims of, of rape. Exactly. There's no exception for rape or incest. And that is, you know, I think it's important to say that that's not particularly remarkable when it comes to abortion bans that are in effect right now. Thirteen abortion bans, you know, that that have taken effect since the fall of Roe have no exceptions for rape or incest. And as you were saying, like, this issue has come up in campaigns since Roe v. Wade was overturned and that it was becoming an issue in Kentucky. By the summer of 2023, I think it was clear to the Bashir campaign that this was an issue that they wanted to draw attention to. And particularly, they wanted to draw attention to the rape and incest exceptions. I think a lot of people assume that abortion bans have exceptions that cover cases like these. And to highlight a woman with a story that makes it so clear that they don't cover those situations, that was something that they really wanted to emphasize. And somebody on the team had heard Hadley's story 
and then they reached out to her. And what was her reaction to that when they proposed, hey, we want to do a political ad about this deeply traumatizing thing that happened to you? She said she immediately said yes. Hmm. Um, She said by that point, you know, she was used to sharing her story. That Facebook post, I think, was kind of the scariest part because that was the first time that she was sharing it with a lot of her, you know, close friends and family and people whose opinions she really cared about. And I think once she did that, she kind of felt like she could do it all, right? Um, And she wanted to make a difference. She, you know, was really upset about the Kentucky abortion ban and the fact that it didn't have exceptions in it. So tell me about the day of that shoot and how it all played out. So just a couple of days after she gets the call from Bashir's campaign, they go ahead and they schedule a video shoot. Hadley gets in the car with her boyfriend. You drive out to the filming location, which is the home of a Bashir supporter. Hadley put, like, I think she said five different outfits in the back of her car. So they, like, told me um, to bring options. Like, they would ultimately help me. Hair and makeup was there. Okay. Like, they did it for me. When she gets there, she goes over the script. I spoke with Bashir's media consultant, David Eichenbaum. He wrote the script based on little bits of things that Hadley had said before. And she makes a few tweaks to the wording, and then they start to record. I was raped by my stepfather after years of sexual abuse. I was 12. So she, she, reads, this, she reads the script for the first time out loud to camera. My thought was, holy crap. I mean, that is so powerful. We've got it. Like, this is a game changer. I knew after the first one that we that we had exactly what we wanted and what we needed and that it was going to be incredibly powerful and, um, and it was going to change the race. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Daniel Cameron would give us none. And what was the reaction from Daniel Cameron's campaign? So actually, like right before the ad aired, it was either the day before or a few days before, right before the ad aired, Daniel Cameron was asked about, you know, explicitly asked about exceptions for rape and incest. And he said he didn't sort of actively say that he supported those exceptions, but he said that if the legislature presented him with a new version of the bill that included those exceptions, he said that he would sign it. You know, and then the ad comes out, and, you know, I I wasn't able to talk to anybody from his campaign, but, you know, I think it's a really hard ad to respond to. Um, He eventually ended up saying, you know, his heart went out to Hadley, and he was just so sorry for everything that she had been through. So Governor Andy Bashir is ultimately reelected. He he wins this election, and a lot of people attribute that to this ad and Hadley's story. Tell me more about how they came up with that conclusion that, that she is what essentially landed him this race. I think it's impossible to say for sure, but commentators and leaders on, you know, even on the Republican side have said that this ad clearly contributed to Bashir's win. If you watch the ad, go look at the ad ran against Daniel Cameron in Kentucky. Um, A few days after the election on the podcast Ruthless, the Republican National Committee chair, Ronna McDaniel, talked about that exact thing, how um, this ad 
clearly contributed to Bashir's win. That ad was It so probably was the outcome. It, was it probably the outcome. was the outcome. Because we won everything else down ticket in Kentucky. This is a extremely galvanizing issue and you know, particularly exceptions. I mean, the vast, vast majority of Americans think that there should be exceptions to abortion bans. So drawing attention to that particular situation, those kinds of really dire situations, I think is incredibly motivating. And I think so much of this was also about the way that Hadley had communicated in that video. Um, You know, there are a lot of different campaign ads that you can do about the lack of exceptions in abortion bans around the country, but that they don't quite hit home the way that Hadley's video seemed to. I think that's right. I think that um, she was kind of the perfect messenger. You know, a couple of people said to me in the course of the interviews that Hadley could be anybody's daughter. She could be anybody's sister. She could be anybody's niece. She's very relatable. Um, Hadley told me that, you know, people had called her the girl next door. I asked her to think, I don't know, I just sort of asked her to think about why she was the perfect messenger. And, you know, she has thought really critically about how the way that she looks informs the way that people hear her story. She said, you know, I I don't think that a young woman who was Black or Hispanic would have struck the same chord with conservatives. Like, white privilege, I believe is a thing, 100%. And, like, I'm very aware that white people have privilege. So use it for the good. I think also the language in this ad was very carefully crafted to appeal to conservatives. You never hear the word abortion. It is an ad about abortion, and you never hear that word. The word you do hear is options. Mm. And uh, I asked Eichenbaum about that, and he said, you know, options, that's an inclusive word. That's a word that everybody can get behind. Say, Say more what you mean by that. Abortion is a divisive issue. You know, I think we know now that, you know, the vast majority of people support abortion rights, but it still is. It's a it's a controversial issue saying, you know, I think people should have options and choices. That language, you know, I think is going to be more appealing to Republicans and moderates. So, Caroline, you talked about how right after Roe v. Wade was overturned, there were a lot of people who had reactions that were very similar to Hadley's, a lot of anger and a lot of concern about what this meant for people who were in positions like hers or were facing other difficult situations. But also, that was summer of 2022. And here we are, it's 2024. By the time it's the election, it's going to be over two years after that that Supreme Court decision. So how much is this really an issue anymore for Democrats or for Republicans? Well, what we have seen is that every single time that abortion has been directly on the ballot, you know, as an issue, and people say, you know, yes or no, up or down, every single time, Seven times so far, voters have come out to overwhelmingly vote to support abortion rights. The question is how people will weigh this issue when it comes to voting on candidates. Um, What we saw in the midterms is that, you know, places where it was directly on the ballot, people voted to support abortion rights. But the governors who 
you know, in states that had signed and very vocally supported extremely strict abortion bans, they were overwhelmingly reelected. So, you know, that's that's uh, Governor Greg Abbott in Texas. That is Brian Kemp, Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia, um, Oklahoma, Florida, like all of those governors um, overwhelmingly reelected. So I think the question is, you know, how much are voters going to prioritize that issue when they are voting for Donald Trump or Joe Biden or, mm-hmm. you know, Senator X or Senator Y, right? I think a lot of people would look at this ad and say that Hadley was used, that a politician used her story for political ends to win an election. And I'm wondering what you think Hadley would say to that or if she has thoughts that she shared with you about what it means for her very personal story to become part of a political campaign. I don't think Hadley would agree with that. I think she felt an immense amount of agency in sharing her story. But I will say... It hasn't all been easy. Um, she is extremely recognizable, not just in her school, not just her city, across the entire state. Her face has been everywhere. A lot of people have asked, like, why? Like, what? Like, how are you so able to do this? Like, why didn't you have to think about it? Because, like, the day that they called me, I said yes uh, yeah. right away. Yeah. And it's like, if not me, then who? It's really clear that what is driving her, and she says this, but it's just clear hearing her talk about everything, that what drives her are, you know, the other little girls with similar stories um, who might still be trapped in their situations. She is hoping that they will see her ad and they will know her and they will feel like they can speak up to Caroline, thank you so much for sharing this story. Thanks, Martine. Caroline Kitchener covers abortion for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's episode was produced by Ariel Plotnick. It was mixed by Sean Carter. It was edited by Maggie Penman. If you are looking to catch up on the latest news from The Washington Post, I highly recommend subscribing to The Seven. There is a newsletter and a podcast, and both are delivered to you by 7 a.m. with all the stories that you are going to want to read that morning. Check out The 7 using the link in our show notes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.